psalmist, we pray that you would give to us a real wisdom and understanding about your word, not simply that we would know more facts about you, but that we would know you better. And Lord, one final prayer request that I had failed to pray for. We do pray for the family of Adger Burns, Virginia West's sister-in-law who passed away. Lord, we pray that their hearts, which are now very sensitive at her passing, would be comforted and that you would point them to Jesus in faith. We ask that the reality of living in a fallen world would give us a greater motivation to seek you in your word. And so we pray now that you would speak to us very powerfully by your word and through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. And you will find that on page 840 of your pew Bible. If you've ever gone to a foreign country where the culture is very different than yours, then one of the things that you notice is it seems as though these particular people are living for things that you're not used to living for. And in some places that I've been, one of the things that I've noticed is that it seems as though some people of different cultures are actually bound to serving things that I feel as though I am not bound to serve. And I think it makes us reflect upon ourselves and ask, what are the things that we are enslaved to that we may not actually realize? Today in this particular passage, we see a man who's possessed not only by one demon, but by multiple demons. And he is enslaved in bondage to Satan and to all of his dark forces. And I think it reflects upon us the ways in which we are in bondage at times as well uh, in our own natural state. Well, let me read for us now chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, that is Jesus and his disciples, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore not even with a chain, for he had often been, been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it to, in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. 
And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him to uh, permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Just the other night, Sally and I were watching the news and we saw the story of a middle aged woman by the name of Ariel. She was seeking to become uh, or to, to compete in rowing. And one of the things that made this uh, especially interesting is that she is blind. And so she has to listen to the cues that are given and she has to feel the boat as it shifts and she has to hear the other rowers row. And during the course of the interview, what came out was that she had become blind about 20 years prior. And the reason that she became blind was because somebody decided that they would enter into whatever drugstore that she had gone into and tamper with the eye drops, adding drain cleaner to them so that nearly immediately as she dropped the drops into her eye, she knew that there was something wrong and she had become blind. Now we see those types of stories on the news and read them in the paper or on the internet. And one of the things that comes to mind is who would do such a thing like that? And the answer to the question is well, someone who wants to do harm, someone who wants to bring destruction into somebody else's life. And that's exactly what we see here with these demons. They are bent on destruction. They have no other agenda than to destroy God's good creation. And in fact, to seek to destroy and distort the image of God in man. And so what we find here is Jesus encounter with this particular man who is demon possessed. We're told that they came to the other side of the sea, having been through the storm with Jesus. And when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Now, I want to mention several things that I think we learn from this. The first of this is the bondage of evil. The bondage of evil. We see here in this encounter between Jesus and the demon-possessed man, really a picture of all spiritual bondage. Here, this man comes to Jesus who is living in the tombs. Now, he's basically been driven into this particular life, not only because he is possessed by multiple demons, but because the people in the city have uh, driven him out of the city so that all that he can do now is live in caves in the side of a cliff that are used for tombs. Mark tells us that he has this unclean spirit within him. And we even find that not only does he have one unclean spirit, but he has thousands of unclean spirits living within him. His name is Legion, as he says, for we are many. And what we find about this man is that his whole body, his whole soul now has been so captivated and animated and empowered by the demons that he is at their disposal. He does whatever they want and he's in bondage to these forces of darkness. 
And what I think it shows for us is really that it's emblematic for how everyone in their natural state is in spiritual bondage. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the Ephesians, he tells them, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. In other words, everyone who is born into this world in their natural state, apart from the saving grace of Christ, is actually enslaved to the spiritual forces that are at work in this particular man. And so his bondage to these demons is actually a picture of the same bondage that we have once experienced, being in our own natural state and outside of Christ. And the tragedy of this man's life is that he is a visible manifestation of that bondage. So that he's in great torment and pain. And I think that we need to see now, what are the consequences then of such spiritual bondage? Well, there's two things I think we see in this man. The first is this, alienation. Alienation. Verses 3 and 4. He lived among the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces and no one had the strength to subdue him. You could imagine this man who's not far from the small town adjacent to these particular tombs. He more than likely grew up in this particular town. People knew him. He had family there. He had friends there he probably worked there he maybe even had a particular business or trade that he was engaged in he was known very well and yet once he was possessed by the demons what we're told is that he was so wild and crazy that they would bind him with chains and yet even the chains could not hold him and he would break the chains and he would destroy the shackles and so the only thing that they are left to do is to drive him out into the hills, drive him up into the tombs where no one else wanted to go. Now he lives a solitary life, alienated from everyone. My friends, that's the effect that Satan wants to have on this world. And it's the effect that sin brings into our lives. It brings alienation from everyone else. When Adam and Eve had sinned in the garden, the very first thing that happened was blame shifting. Satan made me do it. She made me do it. Alienation immediately between husband and wife. Alienation even between God and His people. So that the prophet Isaiah can say, your sin has separated you from the Lord. What we see in this man is the same kind of alienation that we experience in our lives because of the sin that takes hold of our lives. You see, all the effects of sin have this tragic impact of alienating us from other people. Now, you might say, well, I'm not alienated from anyone. People, people like me. I'm a well-loved person. But you see, there's always something between you and other people. There's even things between you and the persons that you are most close to in this life. 
There are barriers because of lack of trust. You don't share everything that you think. You don't share everything that you feel. You don't reveal your fears and your greatest thoughts and your, your deepest intimate feelings. Because you're not really sure if the other person on the other end is trustworthy. You don't know if you want to reveal all of those things to them or not. And there's always something between us and everyone else. No one is fully transparent. But you see, Jesus knows what's in a man. We're told that in the Gospels. And Jesus knows everything about you, and He doesn't shudder. He doesn't flee. But even with this man, one who is possessed by demons, who is alienated from everyone, Jesus is willing to deal with his sin and with his struggles with the demons. You know, I think we've all felt different storms of alienation from people in our lives. Sometimes we chalk it up to deficiencies in the other person. Well, they don't understand me. They don't know me. They don't really care about me. And certainly there are, there are differences in personality that cause us not to relate well to other people. There are differences of interest as well. But you see, sometimes we don't take a step back and look at the larger picture. That the real alienation between me and other people is because of my own sin. Because of all the darkness within my own soul. It keeps me from having clear and open relationships with people and with God too. And the work of Satan is to do everything to oppose what God has sought to establish in this world. And that is to say that we would have relationships with no alienation, with no barriers. That's how he made Adam and Eve. And it's the work of salvation to once again draw people back together. Is that not what Paul goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 2? You were once aliens to the covenant of grace. Now he's made one person out of two. He's building a whole new community so that in the church what we begin to see is the recreation of all that God intended for humanity to have. That there would be no barriers between people. Sometimes we often find superficial solutions to our alienations and don't think maybe that uh, this man, most likely he had pursued other types of solutions as well. Maybe he even thought in his own mind, if, if I can just get back, if I can just manage this for now, enough to be able to re-enter society, then I, can, then I can once again have a whole life. And I think what Jesus reveals to us here is that there's no other way outside of Christ to have all the barriers between us and other people dealt with but not only is there alienation another consequence here is self-destruction verse 5 we're told night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was crying aloud and cutting himself with stones if you were living in that particular town at night you could probably hear the old crazy man up on the hill he was screaming with screeches that would just annoy you and grate on you and we're told that he would pick up rocks and he would beat himself and he would cut himself 
Because the purposes of Satan are to bring self-destruction into our lives. So that not only does our sin alienate us from other people, but it actually destroys our own lives. And this is really the purpose of Satan. We're told later on in Mark chapter 9, verse 22, when this man brings his son to Jesus who is demon-possessed, the man tells Jesus that often the, the demon would throw him into the fire or into the water. Why? That he might destroy him. And friends, every bit of darkness and evil in our own hearts would seek to destroy everything that would, would be against God's good creation. You know, I think the more our culture turns away from the Lord, we see this taking place. We see very grotesque sins such as pornography. And if you were to consider the statistics on online por pornography, it would be frightening. In fact, at a Christian college, now this is a Christian college, 70% of young men at a Christian college have viewed online pornography. 70% at a Christian school. Now just think what the rest of the world is like. One of the things that is taking place in our culture today among young women is not only eating disorders that are self-destructive enough, but young women and to some extent young men, but primarily young women who would give themselves to cutting themselves just as this man is doing as a way of controlling their own pain, a way of dealing with all the hurts in their lives. And so now they've turned to something that is self-destructive. But you see, every sin destroys. You don't have to give yourself to pornography or to cutting yourself. Every sin destroys our souls. Just think of all the things that can bind your soul. It could be the love of money. Just enough. Just enough. To make you love it a little bit more than God. It could be the compulsive need to lie to other people. Because you're wanting to sort of keep up the image that you've built about yourself to other people. It might be the, the desire for approval from other people that just begins to distort how you live your life among them. So that you're living for their praise rather than living for the glory of God. For some of us, it might actually be the pursuit of the safe life. Now that sounds fine. But sometimes the pursuit of the safe life, one that, that doesn't cost much, one that doesn't demand too much of us, one that won't put us in positions where we have to give something up. But we want what's comfortable. We want what's easy. And you see that damages our soul because we're no longer out Seeking to live for the Lord, but we're actually living for ourselves. And I think that's the greatest thing that the devil can bind our souls with is simply self-love. Because at the end of the day, we'll make the choice to serve ourselves rather than to serve God. And you see, there's a cumulative effect of all this. Think of, think of all the, the days and months and years that this man has been out among the tombs screaming and beating himself and cutting himself with rocks. Just think how scarred his body must be. My friends, all the sin within our hearts leaves scars too. And it's a cumulative effect. And it's not until Christ comes and 
begins to bind up our wounds, that all of a sudden those scars begin to heal a little bit. And that's the next thing that we see here is the deliverance that Jesus can bring. So not only do we see alienation and self-destruction because of this bondage to evil, but secondly, there's this deliverance that Jesus can give. We're told in verse 6, when he saw Jesus from afar, the man ran and fell down before him. He cried out with a loud voice. He said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. In other words, the demon recognizes Jesus as we've seen before in the gospel narrative. And he runs to Jesus and he says, now what do you want to do with me? Because he knows that his days are numbered. And do you notice the irony? I adjure you by God. Now isn't that interesting? The demon is calling on God to defend him against Jesus. And what he doesn't recognize is that Jesus is God. And so here this man comes to Christ uh, to, uh, to really defend himself. This, the, this demon wants to defend himself. For, we're told in verse 8, Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. In other words, what Jesus is seeking to do is deliver this man from this bondage to these thousands of demons. And we see the result of Jesus' work. Verse 15. When all the townspeople come to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, we're told that they were afraid. Clothed and in his right mind. How could it be? Only the power of the Son of God could do this. Because it's true of us too. You might remember from Ephesians chapter 2 when Paul goes on, not only speaking of those who are following the prince of the power of the air, but he goes on to say, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Jesus has the power to take all our bondage away so that we no longer are bound over to serving sin and to serving all the forces of darkness, but rather are bound over to serving Him. Bound over to His good rule over our lives. So He begins to heal all the scars and remake us once again into the image of Himself. And He does it by the power of His cross. That Christ would come in the world and be bruised and broken and hung upon a cross so that you and I, upon His resurrection and by faith in Jesus, would now go free. And the resurrection life of Jesus would dwell within us. So now we have a new Master. Not the Master of sin. Not the Master of Satan or even the world, but the Master that is Jesus and His good reign over us. But notice this, how the evil spirits resist Jesus. Verse 10, he begged them earnestly, not them to send them out of the country. We're told about this great herd of pigs. And so they begged Jesus, send us into the pigs. You see, what binds us does not want to go away easily. And you know that to be true in your own life. The sins that bind us want to hold on to us. They try to sink their roots deep down into our hearts. 
so that every effort that we make is countered by another effort to pull back. And that's what's taking place here. Jesus, don't destroy us. We need to recognize that the only thing that can deliver us is Christ and His grace. And the irony here is that this man is driven to Jesus, maybe even by the very demon who doesn't want to be driven out. Because you see, sometimes it has to be so bad that even what binds us ends up driving us to Jesus. We have to recognize just how bad we really are. Just how far into bondage we really are. Just how much our particular sins lay hold of us. And it's when we understand that reality that we begin to run to Jesus and say, please deliver me. Please deliver me. And the only one who can is Christ. The question is, are we willing? Are we willing? Because sometimes we want to hold on to what binds us. What we have to learn is that we have to come to Jesus. He might take everything away. It's a young lady that I would speak with often. And one of the things that came out in our conversation is all the ways that she would seek to basically live a self-destructive lifestyle. And as we talked more and more, the thing that became clear is that there was something in her life that she was not revealing to me. And she was afraid even to reveal it to herself, even to think about it. And what I finally asked her one day is I said, if you're so afraid to tell me or anybody else, can you tell God? And she wasn't sure she could do that. She was afraid to go to him and tell him what had happened to her. And sometimes we're so afraid to go to God and say, Lord, I am bound by this. Please take it away. Please take it away. One day she finally did. And I can tell you that today she is no longer the same person that she was. Because Christ has begun to heal all those scars. And allow her to live for His glory. And not for any other thing in her life. You ever ask the question, who would I be? Who would I be outside of the grace of Christ? Jesus had not delivered you. What would you be like? What, what would you be bound to? Look upon all that Jesus has delivered you from. And praise Him for it. Well, let me mention one final thing here. And that is the responses that are given to Jesus by His work. The first is this, rejection. And that's what the, the people of the town do. They're, we're told that they see this man sitting there in his right mind and they were afraid. And what they do is beg Jesus to leave, verse 17. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Now why is that? Well, one reason might be this. Because of what happened to the pigs. It may just be that what the demon's plan was is that we'll rush into the pigs and then go down into the, to the sea and destroy the pigs so that now everybody in the town will be angry at Jesus because he just cost them a whole lot of money. That may be why they want him to leave. 
Jesus, you've brought great destruction into our life and we want nothing to do with you. May also be that looking at this man sitting in his right mind and the change that he brought into their lives that they're afraid because they might wonder, what would Jesus do in me? What would Jesus do in me if I came to him and allowed him to do his work? Might cost me quite a bit. But if you reject him, you'll have nothing. And that's what we see here is that they reject him. They beg him to leave. And we're told in verse 18, as he was getting into the boat, Jesus says, if you want me to leave, I will leave. You know, the greatest condemnation, the greatest judgment that can be pronounced upon you is what Paul talks about in Romans chapter one, where three times over God gives people over to their own sin. God gave them over. God gave them over. God gave them over. And here Jesus is giving these people over to their desire to reject him. And that's the worst thing that could happen to them. Because they have no hope now of any kind of salvation. But the problem is they look at themselves and they look at themselves in comparison to this man who's demon possessed, who's scarred and broken and bruised. And they say, now, wait a minute, Jesus, we're normal. We don't need you. And if we look at ourselves and we say, well, we're normal people. We dress up well, we go to church, we're law-abiding citizens, we do everything well. We're respectable kinds of people. You see, if that's how we think about ourselves, then we'll have nothing to do with Jesus. And sadly, for people who say that, he will just get in the boat and go to the other side. But look at the other reaction here. It's one of gratitude. This man, verse 18, Jesus is getting into the boat and the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Those who have experienced such a great deliverance, who have been freed from the bondage of their own sin, now run to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to be with you. I don't even want to go back to the town. My desire is to be with you. But notice what Jesus does. Verse 19. He did not permit him to go with him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And this man went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis. That's a, a large region. How much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Is there a greater witness to Christ? Is there a greater evangelist? than the one who knows how much he's been delivered from sin. The one who knows who's, that he's been alienated and now has been restored. The one who knows he's been delivered from the self-destructive lifestyle that he once lived. That's the greatest evangelist that there is. And the degree to which we've delivered, been delivered and understand how much we've been delivered to that degree, we will be used by Jesus to go into the world and say, now let me tell you about a man who delivered me from the worst bondage I could ever imagine. You remember the woman at the well? She came to the well in the middle of the day expecting to see no one there. And she sees Jesus. 
Jesus began to have a conversation with her. He asked for water. And what he ends up doing is offering her a water that she does not have for himself, for herself, a living water so that she doesn't have to keep coming to this well day by day to draw it out. And she says, give me this water. And so he says, now go bring your husband and come here. You see, he's got to show her her need of this living water. Before she can actually cling to it and drink from it. And in the course of things, one of the things that happens is Jesus begins to reveal things about her. And though they have this theological discussion, he will not let her get sidetracked. And ultimately reveals to her that he is the savior of her soul. So that what does she do? She goes back to all the people in the town that despise her. And she says, now come and see. Come and see. Now friends, what have you been delivered from? What work does Jesus still need to do in your heart? The more you understand that He and He alone can deliver you, and the more you experience that in your own life, then you want to do like this man. You want to be with Jesus, and you want to go tell everyone you know let me tell you about the man who delivered me from everything that I was in bondage to. What a glorious Savior we have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You have shown great mercy to us. We thank You that though our lives are scarred, though our hearts are bruised and broken, sometimes in ways we do not even understand, You are merciful and You are able to bring freedom from that bondage. We pray that our trust and hope would be in You to that end. And that our delight would be to be with Christ. To tell everyone that we know of the freedom that He has brought into our lives. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.